0: What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined once again by Brandon DeCruz. Brandon, it is great to be back. It's been a couple of weeks, dude. Fill us in on what has been going on with you.
1: Yeah, man. It's good to see you. Uh, it's A lot of things have changed in the last few weeks, to say at least. So first off, let me congratulate you in person. Not that I haven't told you enough, but congrats on your engagement. This was something I was extremely excited about for you. I, I've known about it behind the scenes for quite some time, but I was just waiting for you to pull the trigger. And um, dude, congrats.
0: Thank you, man. That means a lot. Yeah. Our last, the last podcast we recorded was like three hours before I was going to propose. And I feel like it was pretty hard to bring myself to that very well. I didn't, I mean, I've dated, Katie and I have been dating for a very long time. We've lived together for the last two years. So I wasn't too concerned about like her saying no, but I was still a lot more nervous than I would expect. And I feel like on that podcast, it was like, man, I'm just hella anxious right now. But Thank you, man. I appreciate it, and I couldn't be happier with how things. My man,
1: out. I'm going to tell you, I I could not notice, and even when we got off, because obviously, guys, um, we speak before the call starts and then after, and so after, like you were like, listen, I got to go do this, but you were like, you seem calm, and I got to say another thing. I think I'm a good luck charm because I'm going to say it like this: the <laughs> night before Jeff Hone you know uh got engaged to his girl we were on a call with him he was completely normal yeah. or he seemed you know normal very stress-free as did you so i'm like uh the proposal guy like when a podcast yeah yeah pretty yeah. much
0: but, um, <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to start marketing that
1: Yeah, for sure. That'll be my, uh, my next service that I, I add into my mentorship and into my coaching and all that stuff, but (laughs) man, um, the last few weeks have been well on my end. Um, from like a training and nutrition front, we usually go over that. So I'm a little bit over six weeks into my post, uh, diet recovery phase. And honestly, I'm feeling better by the week. And, um, One thing I've really been doing, uh, really been focusing on during this time, taking both my physical and the mental recovery from the diet and then everything else that went along with it. um, And from just the fact of being at essential levels of body fat like that, it it takes a toll on you. A lot of people don't realize that. And even I don't realize that because I've been there so many times, but it does. It, It impacts you mentally. It impacts you physically, impacts especially from a sleep perspective. So really what I've been doing is really working on dialing in my sleep routine. As My sleep quality is like the one thing No matter how many times I diet, it's the one thing that always goes in dips during a dieting phase. When I get super lean, it's like once I hit like 8% and under, it's like sleep is going to go to shit. But really, when we look at it, like we know that sleep has so many effects on our body composition, our health and our training performance. And then also it has so many other um, impacts, like say on our hunger and appetite, you know, levels, our insulin sensitivity, our carbon fat metabolism, uh, sex hormone production, training performance and recovery. Um, even our nutritional choices, like there's research that shows that even after an, just one night of poor sleep, you are more driven towards hyperpalatable food choices, and you're almost looking for comfort food and higher energy-density foods to essentially replenish the energy that you lacked from a sleep perspective and you're trying to get it nutritionally, but you're getting it through the wrong choices. So I've really been trying to make it a point to nail my pre-sleep like wind down routine because I'm someone that I work from the time that I get up or generally from the time I wake up and I have international clients. So I'm answering people at 4am and then I'm answering all the way till the end of the night. And you know this very well because we're generally three hours apart and I'm still getting back to you and it's, you know, eight o'clock at night, my time. And I generally go to bed by 830. So really what I've been trying to do is take like the last six, 60 minutes to 90 minutes and really just wind down, do some meditative practices, uh, brain dump in terms of journaling uh, and just relax, like really try to turn in, you know, turn on my parasympathetic nervous system, get myself in a relaxed, you know, rest and digest state and getting to the bed much earlier. And just improving my sleep quality overall. And then on a personal note, it was last night actually was my girlfriend's 35th birthday. So we celebrated with dinner and then I surprised her with uh, an all-inclusive trip of her choosing. So we were going to, she has like 10 different trips that she has. You know, I gave her like, full rain, you know i started i started looking at planning it and honestly i was overwhelmed by the amount of options (laughs) knowing how many times that we've spoken and and i gotta be honest she's she's a trooper we've been together for years and honestly the only time i really travel i never do personal travel it's always for business so we have went to the pc i've dragged her with me multiple times to different seminars and conferences we've went to expos but generally when i travel it's for either a client event uh like a big you know big show, whether it be a pro show or whatever, maybe an expo within this industry or a seminar that I'm presenting at. I'm very fortunate that she supports me in all of this. And uh, I really wanted to give her something special. So I said, listen, you have free reign in country, out of the country, whatever you want here, you know, I had set aside a budget. I put it all towards her. I said, listen, this is your baby. So plan anything that you want. We will take the time off. And I just need, you know, at least a couple of months notice to allocate the time, because as you very well know, I have a a real issue taking off time at work. I'm, I'm not the type of person that can turn off. So I do want enough time that I could let my clientele know, Hey, listen, this is gonna be my first real vacation in about a decade. And I want to turn off and just really be able to celebrate her birthday. But other than that, man, everything has been incredible. Um, you know, Everything's looking up. The holiday season is coming along. Uh we have a big birthday party for her coming up next weekend, so we have a lot of both um, you know, personal events and and as well as, you know, holiday seasons coming along. But it's getting cold in the northeast over here. It's like 36 degrees. Um so I'm definitely looking forward to her planning a place or a trip during the winter where we'll be in some warmer climate.
0: Yeah, I'm interested to see. It's kind of cool the last couple months. From my perspective, it's cool to see like you shifting away from the corporate world. And actually, I don't know if it's just I know you better, but I feel like you talk about like your personal life a little bit more and also to see how you manage those things. Like, you know, you I saw you post the other day, like your free meal, which was like brownies that you made with like a protein based <laughs> brownie with like fruit in it. Didn't actually look like much of a free meal, but oh, <laughs> regardless, like, uh, it's cool to see that. I'm interested to see how the trip goes for you. Like, I know, for for me, like being in Hawaii, that was the longest trip that I'd ever taken. And very similar to especially like the last the last three months with like business and like the photo shoot prep, like the combination of those two things has very much been like Katie hasn't gotten a lot of intentional time, like of us doing the things that she loves to do. So like that trip, I blocked out a ton of time to where like that's the least I've worked in a week. And we were again, it's the longest vacation I've been on. It's honestly kind of, it's kind of hard. Like I feel like after like two to three days of it, where it's like, man, I feel like I haven't done a lot. It's like, all right, like I'm ready to get back. I got to gotta it. get back
1: to the grind. Yeah. It's just our yeah. personalities, but it is also important to take a step back and realize, that although fitness and nutrition and coaching, they're huge components. Like this is who I am. I've worked in this industry for 14 years. There's never going to be a point in my life that I'm not doing this. This is my greatest passion. This is uh, really honestly like my life's calling in terms of, you know, I've pursued and, and sacrificed everything for this. But at the same time, we have people in our lives that support us. Like you have Katie and I have Christina and they're there for us. You know, when we're grinding through the night or we're traveling all over the country, like she's coming with me and making sure that I stay on point and she's super supportive. So, it's often, you know, really important to realize that everyone has a different definition of balance and that's why I've tried to open up more because I know that luckily, I have a good influence on other individuals, whether it be fellow coaches like yourself or the clients that I work with. And often, you know, when I first got into podcasting, everyone brought me on for like my credentials. Like, listen, he knows a lot about research. He's worked with a thousand clients, this, that, and the other. So I didn't really get to express about myself. And and at one point I said, well, maybe that's a good thing. Let me not make it about myself or let me not open up. But the more that I've opened up, and this has really been, you know, I have to give great credit to my good friend and co-host of the Chasing Clarity podcast, Jeff Black, because he's made me come out of my shell and really express and, and open up more about myself. And that's only allowed me to connect and relate to clients even better, create greater relationships with people like yourself, Jeff Hone and other guys that I interact with on a frequent basis and also make people realize like I'm human. You know what I mean? Like, yes, I'm very dialed in. You know, a lot of times I used to get comments from clients tell that they couldn't relate to my level of discipline and, and motivation. And what I really want to get across to people is I'm not motivated. I'm driven. You know what I mean? It's I'm generally, I gotta be honest with you. I wish I don't mean to disappoint anyone, but I wake up at three to three 30 every morning and I'm not motivated whatsoever, but I know that there are certain things that I need. There's daily tasks and I have a to-do list and I get a dopamine high off of checking off those to-dos and knowing that every single day I'm getting closer to helping more people and to being able to complete a vision that I've had for myself since I was a teenager.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I was having a conversation trying to get us on a side tangent. I was having a conversation with a lady yesterday. Um, she was in her fifties and she was just talking about how she would be in this endless cycle of like always wanting to achieve the same physical goal. And in a lot of areas with in her life, she was just so fed up with herself because she would always start and then she would always lose motivation. And she thought there was something wrong with her because she continually was losing motivation. And we talked through like, so like me as an example, like I work with you. Now, I'm not always motivated either, but like senior level of discipline, that raises a standard that I have to hold myself to. I pay you a lot of money. That also is very helpful. I don't want to let you down. Um, I don't want to disappoint you, which also is very helpful, right? Where it's, I think there's so many things we can do To I think that just looking or like setting the expectation that you're always going to be motivated, that in itself sets so many people up for failure, right? Where we have to look at like, what... Things in your external environment, can we change to like reduce the friction to not asking acting how you want and increase the likelihood that we will follow through with whatever we want? Right. So, kind of, we don't need to like go super deep down that rabbit hole, but I think that's a relevant point as well.
1: No, I couldn't agree more. And honestly, I want to refer back to I don't think you've released this, but we did a post photo shoot recap and we spoke yeah. in, in the ins and outs of intrinsic versus enter, uh, extrinsic motivation. And so, for anyone, I'm sure that will get released soon, but go back to that and listen to it because I kind of went over my mental framework with how I get clients into a dieting phase, or I even determine if they're ready. And a lot of it comes from what is motivating them. And it's not just the presence of motivation in and of itself. It's really the key drivers. Like, what are your values? What are you doing this for? And if you realize, and, and this is often a process that we need an objective second eye, we need you know a, another person in our corner. And that's where coaching really comes into play is a lot of times people think they're doing something for the right reasons. And I'm not here as a coach or, or as anyone to tell you that you're you shouldn't do something, but I am here to inspire critical thinking and really get you to rethink some of the decisions you're making or the actions that you're putting forward and realizing are these in align with my values? Like right now I want to, you know, focus like if I'm talking to one of my clients, that's a parent. Like For instance, I just had this conversation yesterday with one of my clients. He wants to do a dieting phase, and he's been in a dieting phase the last six weeks. And he just literally just had his first child, and it was it was um, premature um, birth, so it came a little bit earlier than expected. And so he was like, "I want to diet through the holidays." And I took a step back and I said, "Mike, let's be realistic. This is the first holiday season with your baby. Do you really want to be dieting during this? Like, not only is it going to set up more uh, effort barriers for you, but it's also going to limit some of the." ability to engage in those holiday habits and seasonal festivities that are going to be essential. And you're never going to be able to have this back. You're never going to have a first Thanksgiving with your daughter. You're never going to have a first Christmas with your daughter. So we can put these on hold. We've been working together for years and we know where you've been and where you can get to. And we know the potential that you have, but we don't need to get there this year. We don't have to finish out 2022 shredded. We can do this in 2023 and we could, you know, prolong this or go into maintenance. And what you really have to get. And what I was really trying to get across him was maintenance is, is an accomplishment in and of itself. Like we've gotten you pretty lean in these first six weeks. Let's just go into a maintenance phase. I'll be able to increase your calorie intake Increase your dietary flexibility and you'll be able to live more and will be able to, you know, fit in free meals and the ability to enjoy these occasions where you're not only taking away from your own ability to enjoy them, but your family's because he's just starting, you know, a brand new family. It's him, his wife, and now his brand new daughter. And so that's really important because he's not going to get these back. And I'll tell you, I've spent many of birthdays, you know, training through them and dieting through them because I've had contest preps or I've had a deadline. And in those specific circumstances, I'll say, I don't regret them because I had intrinsic goals that went far beyond what, you know, that holiday or that birthday meant to me at the time. But also at the same time, I was a single young guy and my my main focuses were on my business and on my physique, you know, accolades. And so at that time, I wasn't Inhibiting any other any other person's ability to enjoy that moment. So really, you know, I'm trying to strike that blend and balance between optimality and between chasing our goals and then what's practical and what's more of a balanced lifestyle. And I'm still tr- trying to figure that out for myself, but I'm also trying to help clients figure out the same.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's understanding that that also shifts over time. I know we've talked about this a decent amount in the past, but even like looking at like what you're doing again, like or what you we're doing, single young versus like he just had his first kid right your lifestyle like the context is completely different even like what you value most right now is completely different and i think it's easy to look at like well this person's super jacked and shredded and they're doing this so i should thus take on like they're trading six days a week okay i need to tr- take on six days a week as well right and i think we need to examine that a bit deeper but absolutely man and i 100 agree maintenance is for sure progress there so yeah from my end just a quick update um well, yeah, last time we talked, we had just recorded the post-shoot uh, kind of wrap-up, which will be dropping, I think, tomorrow as we air this. I'm way ahead on a podcast right now. But <laughs> yeah, last couple of weeks have been kind of just the diet break, post-diet period since I've been, I was in Hawaii, and we're just kind of getting back to it as of yesterday, actually. So I'm interested, I'm interested to hear your take here as if we're kind of about where you expected. I feel like from a I feel like the trip to Hawaii was relatively easy to manage, um, from the nutrition front. As I said, like I made sure to get like my nutrient dense foods in and still like when I'm traveling, I very much try to make like digestion is a huge issue for people when they travel or most people get stopped up. So like, for me, I'm always going to make sure like, okay, like I had my oats, my berries, my Greek yogurt, like normal for breakfast. Then I had like lean ground turkey, sweet potatoes and green beans mixed together, um, to make sure And like consistently, like having at least two to three meals per day, like at our Airbnb, like that, and like prepping that at the start of the week, always extremely helpful. And then from even meals out, I feel like there it's like mostly just able to eat fish. So I was able to eat like a lot of ahi tuna, which has great macros, and then like a starchy carb that's just by itself on the side. So I felt like it was pretty easy to manage. Um, from our most recent check-in, do you feel like I was a little higher than where you expected? Were we right about where you wanted us to be? What what are your thoughts there?
1: No. So just to give some context to the audience, um, we did this a little bit different than I would do with most clients. And it's for t- it's actually for two reasons. First and foremost, Jeremiah got far leaner than we, A, set out to get. Because initially, Jeremiah came to me with the goal of doing a mini cut before a vacation that was planned for the end of the summer. And then when the the trip got canceled, he pushed that back and we re... Um, we realigned our goals in terms of what we were going to do. I proposed the idea of a photo shoot prep to him. He also had a vacation in Hawaii where he had already let me know, listen, I'm going to propose right before we leave. So he wanted to look in great shape for that in and of itself. So within one week, he had got to his lean estate today. He had a photo shoot, which he did incredible with. He crushed it. And then also, then he proposed, and then he went right away to Hawaii. So generally, it would be, I don't want to say more strategic, but it would have been a little bit more controlled in how we would approach the post-show or post-diet period. However, in irregardless, he had gotten to a state of, of body fat. He was at essential levels of body fat, where the number one uh, focus of mine as a coach is for hormonal, metabolic, and physiological recovery. So initially we started out with a large bump in calories right off the bat as he had this trip planned and you know it with Katie who had just proposed to you. So, you know, I felt that it was of the utmost importance for you to have a fairly large calorie increase target. So essentially what I did was I told Jeremiah, listen, this is what I want you to do. We're going to essentially utilize like a diet break format for two weeks because you are going to be gone for 10 days and in between check-ins and stuff and the travel and all this. And he also had the proposal before he was leaving. I want for the next 14 days for you to increase calories by a target of 1,000 to 1,250. Now, generally when I'm going to put a client into a post-diet phase, I'm going to give them specific macronutrient suggestions and targets. With this, I let you know Jeremiah do it on his own. I said, listen, you have full utility. Generally, I would recommend more of increases on carbon carbohydrates carbohydrates and protein to mitigate both the satiety response and also the hunger increases that come in that post-dieting period. However, I want you to have the flexibility where you're able to have a target that doesn't give you anxiety trying to hit and you're going to be able to enjoy yourself and make um, smart yet choices that are going to still make you feel satiated and you have a large calorie target and budget to play with. So the first two weeks we did that, And then, you know, obviously we just checked in. He was up a few pounds, but generally I, first and foremost, I knew you were fairly depleted. So I knew the first couple of pounds that you were going to gain was just going to do be due to glycogen replenishment, which is going to come from intramuscular glycogen storage being replenished and then the associated water that comes with that. So that's a few pounds in and of itself. I knew there was going to be a pound or two of gut content because now you're eating more, you have more food in your system. And then I, I wanted you honestly to gain a few more pounds, which you did. So you were right on point today and or, or yesterday rather. And then you know I kind of titrated and made more specific adjustments to the plan, but still he's up um a fair amount of calories and it wasn't like this slow controlled reverse diet that a lot of people I guess think of. And I think, you know, honestly, um, you know, this is I guess my bad, but um I've spoken about reverse dieting a lot in the past. And I think because I have such a background in the physiology of metabolism, I didn't realize what other people in We're doing within reverse dieting until recently, I actually listened to a podcast that you did just this past week with Aaron Stryker and with Brian Borstein. And I was very unaware of, I guess, the common, you know, I guess, general population reverse diet.
0: I can't believe you guys don't see this all the time.
1: So I don't. And they they kind of, um, you know, alluded to the same fact where you know, you were essentially, you know, saying how, you know, and multiple people have said this where there are coaches that will literally take someone out of a diet and just bump them up by 10 grams of carbohydrates or five grams of fat. And those are calorie adjustments that are so minuscule that really they're going to have no physiological or psychological effects because A, it's going to be really hard to hit that target. You know, B, it's not going to do anything from a hunger management perspective. It's not going to reverse any of the hormonal and metabolic adaptations that come from dieting. And I think that Because I've never taken that approach. Yes, I've titrated up calories, you know, slowly and incrementally, but it's never been that slow. It's always been, you know, maybe four to 600 calories off the bat with a client if they're not super lean. So when I'm working with lifestyle clients, I'm getting them right back to maintenance and then I'm making small adjustments from there, but I've never done this, um, This so slow of reverse diet that the person was still in a net, a a dramatic net deficit. So you know it's funny to hear that, but I think that's actually a mistake that we want to avoid. And so you know we're not doing a reverse diet because you got to almost competitive levels of um, body fat. So we're doing more of a recovery diet. But I started you off with more of an aggressive surplus first and foremost, an aggressive increase. In your calorie intake and now this week we're really working to you know i gave you a target both on training days and non-training days and i'm trying to refine your maintenance but it's a post diet maintenance so it isn't your depleted you know 177 maintenance it's you at 185 let's reestablish your maintenance calorie intake and then make adjustments from there but really the the goals of this phase are to help with you know recovery in all aspects because really what we see is that you know in order to mitigate and reverse the metabolic and hormonal adaptations And to promote recovery that come from being in a deficit and losing a lot of body fat, we need to, you know, focus on two things. The first thing we need to do is increase energy availability. So that's going to be in the form of calories. That's going to be our biggest hammer to hit. And then the next is going to be restore some body fat because you couldn't stay at those low levels of body fat and actually recover adequately. So We really want to focus on both the strategies that are going to help you from a psychological perspective, so helping with hunger management, helping with dietary flexibility, allowing you to regain some balance within your life. But also from a hormonal aspect, we see that in most of the research, it takes three to four months of getting back to maintenance to restore values like testosterone, thyroid production, uh, both T4 and T3, the conversion of each, to get ghrelin back to baseline. And if we don't take, I don't want to say I'm more aggressive, but if we don't take an adequate increase in calories off the bat, you're going to stay in that down-regulated place. So what could, t- could have taken three months of being at maintenance could take you six months, nine months. And we see that in case studies with female bodybuilders where they've stayed in this uh, very conservative. Um, they they've stayed essentially in a deficit. They've said they're reverse dieting, but they're titrating calories so little that it's not having any, it's not chipping away. It's almost like putting like a 16 ounce bottle of a Poland spring water on a a fire rather than getting a a fire hose. You know what I mean? Like a water hose. And so really what we're trying to do is make sure that we get you back between your lower and your upper dual intervention points, which is essentially like your body fat settling range. And that's gonna you know, include the fact that we need to make sure you have enough food to perform well, you're recovering adequately, you have energy, you're sleeping well, all your biofeedback is coming back into place. And even you commented how you feel substantially better just within these first two weeks. And we're gonna play it by ear from there. But I was very surprised when I listened to that podcast with you guys, because I guess, cause I'm just in a different sector and I work with so many coaches that I don't take that approach. And I also have worked with so many competitors that I've had to take more of that recovery dieting approach. And even if you go back, we've done podcasts on reverse dieting. And I've done podcasts with Jeffer. you guys can look at my name and look up reverse dieting. Mm-hmm. And despite me calling it reverse diet, it's always getting back to maintenance and then titrating up from there. So it's always been getting back to that person's new maintenance level. And so, because we know that ma- getting back to maintenance, so either energy balance or positive energy balance is the only way to reverse metabolic adaptation. And so it would never be this, this slow, you know, climbing up where you're in a, you're, you know, you're in a large deficit. Now you're in a slightly smaller deficit now, a slightly smaller deficit. And we're like slowly going up 10 carbs and five fat and this and that. And it was, it was surprising, but really we took a more aggressive approach for flexibility sake and also recovery sake. We've titrated back a little bit and then we'll see your rate of gain going forward, but you'll essentially, it'll kind of look like a sliding scale. So essentially your rate of gain initially over the first two weeks is going to be higher and then it'll slowly go down and go down. And essentially once we transition out of the, the post diet recovery phase, we will get into a building phase where then we'll be targeting that lower rate of gain of probably 0.25% uh, percent of body weight per week with a small uh, net surplus. But at that point you would have been back to maintenance and, and maybe even at what I would call inflated maintenance. Cause we know that maintenance is a range. And what we have to realize is that all aspects of metabolic adaptation work both on the way down and then on the way up. So just like on the way down, your NEAT levels they they lower. So you see a, a substantial drop in your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. You're eating less food, so your thermic effective feeding is lowered. Your basal metabolic rate drops, you know, a, a a slight bit. It's usually 100 to 150 calories with about 10% of, of body weight loss, which is about what you dropped since the time that we worked together. And then um, exercise activity thermogenesis, you don't have as much energy in the gym. We weren't titrating up volume. We were staying very much at our baseline, and so you weren't getting. Uh, greater output in your training but all those things throughout this process of the recovery diet will be titrated up so you'll get to this inflated maintenance level and that's why i think some people think that they have to diet on such little calories as compared to their off-season calories because they don't realize this is inflated and i i try to share this about myself Yes. I, I try to share this about myself in a gaining phase. I'm at 36 to 3,800 calories. When I've really pushed it in the past, when I was much larger than I am now, it was 4,000 to 4,200 calories. That is an inflated maintenance. It's almost like a buffer. So I'm probably about 10% higher than I really would have been, but it's because of all these adaptive, you know, all these positive adaptations in the opposite direction, in the positive direction. And then when I get down to stage condition, as I had in the past, I've had to get down to 1800 calories. So sometimes people hear that on a podcast and they say, all this poor soul he had to drop 2400 calories but really if we look at that my maintenance was probably 3600 to 3800 calories but i had a large buffer because of my movement because of all these upregulated processes and then so i'm going from 3800 and then i'm going down to 1800 to 2000 to get literally stage shredded and so yes it's a large drop but i also have a very adaptive metabolism so that has to be taken into consideration as well
0: yeah absolutely um A lot to unpack there that's like i remember uh, so like in 2018 2019 when i had my first photo shoot prep um the process after that like getting into reverse diet now coach i worked with was a great coach and i think since then he's like changed how he approaches this as well but i know at the time it was and this is where like already like we've all i've always like approached reverse dieting very similarly to what you described there i think lyle mcdonald like reading i think it was his approach that i initially adopted it i don't recall if that's actually accurate though or not but I remember like getting done with it and I was somewhat similar level of leanness to what I got here, not quite. And it was like, all right, so we're doing five, we were doing five 45 minute cardio sessions per week. Calories are relatively low. And then like the first week, the reverse, it was like, all right, we're keeping calories the same. We're just dropping one cardio session. And I was like, God damn, dude, this after the photo shoot, that gets a lot harder to adhere to. Um, and that was the time where I was like, dude, I'm not sure, like, why are we doing this, man? And we kind of went back and forth about it. But at the end of the day, it's, and again, like this coach is, I think an incredible coach, I think very highly of. And I think, again, he's changed his stance on it since then. But
1: you know what I I do want to share with you, because I actually, now that I I look back at it, I don't think the term reverse siding was prominent at the time. This is like 2015, 2016. It's actually a very prominent coach who I'm going to present with at the PEC and I have the utmost respect for him. And I know since then we've had conversations personally and privately um, where I know that isn't his approach. But I remember I got done with a show and I called him in two weeks out. I, I really needed someone to peek me. It was one of my first national level shows for the MPC. And, um, you know, I had been doing my own diet and stuff. And I told him, listen, I have a very adaptive metabolism. So on the way down, like I have to eat a lot low calories, but I, I can, you know, I could take a good amount of increases on the way up. And I remember my first week, he increased my calories by like maybe 30 or 40 carbs. And that was it. And it was like, I was on minimal fats. You know I mean? Obviously protein was, was very sufficient, but I was just like, that didn't move my weight at all. Like I I replenished a little bit of glycogen, but I was still burning through substrate. Like you couldn't believe. And so I remember that approach, but I only worked with him about four weeks post show. And so right after that, I stayed lean. It was good because I had photo shoots. So I stayed literally in stage condition because I was still in a net deficit. I was still losing at that rate, just a little bit of a slower rate. However, right after that, I bumped my calories up pretty substantially because the process. Remember, I made a post about this today. And remember, dieting is a phase in and of itself, and it isn't something we stay in you know, forever. And what we have to realize is the diet that got you to getting lean is not the diet you stay on. What I mean by that is the construct of the diet, the default diet, the the structure of the dietary principles, whether it be high protein, you know, lots of fruits and veggies, you know, micronutrient dense food sources on uh, nutrient density, all those stay in play, but the, the amount should increase. So it's not that you finish your diet at this amount of calories and that's automatically your maintenance and that you stay right there because that's what you need to stay lean. You have to realize the body's adaptive. So it, it will adapt to what you feed it. So if you keep under fueling it, it's going to stay in that down-regulated state. But if you want to have the benefits of up-regulating your system while also being able to say, you know, lean, I'm not saying to the leanest, you know, it, it, there's a big differentiation that needs to be made. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to have to do a podcast on this, you know, kind of like, you know, now that I see all these podcasts of reverse diet, I'm have to do one from like a, you know, an actual practitioner side, because I see a lot of people talking about reverse dieting and then you hear them speak and you realize they don't work with any clients. You're <laughs> right. talking about theoretical stuff and it's like, dude have you really worked with competitors and gotten them like i've worked with people on the olympia level stage and have you also worked with lifestyle clients who've lost 50 pounds but they're really not anywhere near their lower intervention point you know they've been over fat for an extended period of time and that actually improved their hormonal markers i've had guys that have raised their testosterone levels 100 to 200 uh, nanograms per deciliter by dropping body fat because they're having less aromatization to estrogen their lipid panel looks better their metabolic health is substantially improved their insulin sensitivity is better so we have to realize that a lot of times we're speaking past each other and people are talking about a concept and they're, they're utilizing the wrong terminology. And maybe I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. Having, you know, I used to say the, uh, the term reverse dieting a lot, but I did it in the context of what I thought reverse dieting was. And Mm -hmm. based on metabolism and all this research that I had done and who I've worked with and who I surround myself with guys like Jason Theobald, guys like Jeff black yourself, like guys that are, are good practitioners that have a lot of experience. But a lot of times when the, the average person here is reverse dieting. They think about those five and 10 car bumps and, and very small and strategic changes where someone feels super restricted for an extended period of time. And so really, I think we got to do a podcast one day where we kind of compare and contrast recovery dieting for the very lean, um, individuals, whether that be physique competitors, photo shoot, you know, uh, models, whatever it may be, or someone like yourself, that's a coach that got very lean and then reverse dieting for your general population and your lifestyle clients who have gotten leaner than they were, but they're still at a healthy body fat percentage. If you're at 15, you know, you went from 20% body fat or 25% body fat to 15% as a male, you've become more metabolically healthy. You probably haven't faced that many metabolic adaptations because you're most likely not below your lower intervention point. And do you really need to make these large and substantial, you know, increases and calories right off the bat? No, because your goal is to live there. So that's where we would take more of a strategic and slower, you know, slow and steady approach. However, I think a lot of times people are um, confusing the two and kind of speaking about either or and not differentiating them enough.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. I feel like we could talk about this the whole podcast very much. Like, I you know, I talked about that on Straker Stryker and Brian's podcast as well, where I think especially this idea that like, again, like a metabolically unhealthy individual who one of the most beneficial things we could do is like, hey, you need to lose 50 pounds, right? Within that, I think a lot of times what I see reverse dieting is like those people come in and say like, yo, I'm only eating 1200 calories. And there's so much within that. Like I have talked a lot recently about this idea of like, you can be under fueling and still overeating, which I think is very common. But within that as well, like, a lot. What I have seen is a lot of people just taking that as face value, and then okay, right away you just need to reverse diet, and it's that's not that's probably actually like we need to dig so much deeper into so many things, like your tracking accuracy, what does your macronutrient intake look like, your daily movement, like there's so many factors here. But I think that's like kind of where I'm coming from in that conversation as well. But anyways, dude, we're at like a half hour in. Let's get into a couple of these questions. So, uh, first thing I have for you, what's the first thing you do when you get a new client?
1: You want me to take this first? Take it away. All right. So, when it comes down to the coaching process, really the first thing I do when I get a new client, whether it be a consult or an intake form, is I conduct a needs analysis. And, you know, this is really important to me because although coaching is about giving the client what they want, we also need to do what's right by them as a professional because they're coming to us for guidance, for you know, direction, and we can't just give them what they want. A lot of you know individuals, they come to me and they want to diet right off the bat and they are not in the right state physically or mentally to do so. So really, I see coaching as a blend between giving a client what they want, but also what they need. So within this needs analysis, I'm looking at their nutritional approach. I'm looking at their training setup, their training intensity, all the variables of training. Their lifestyle, their day-to-day schedule. Uh, I'm looking about, you know, at their habits around training, food, and movement. So it's not just what does their program look like because there's, you know you know this as a coach. There's a lot of times people will send you a program and it's a five day a week program, but they really can only get in there three days a week. So on average, they're hitting three to four days a week. So are they really following that? So it really takes you don't want to just take information, and this is for any coaches out there or anyone that that's trying to program for themselves, We have to realize that we can't take things at face value. I always say that, The greatest skill that I have in coaching is digging in. I'm always asking, you know, additional questions. I'm always peeling back the layers of the onion. Then I also want to know about their knowledge around nutrition and also their training age and level of advancement. And then in addition to um, that, you know, intake form component of my needs analysis. I always do a physical needs analysis. So I'm looking at their current body composition level. That's going to be, you know, their requisite level of muscle mass, their, you know, their estimated body fat percentage. And then also, I want to know what their goal is, you know, both from an internal perspective but also an external perspective. So this will actually go perfect with the last podcast that we re- re- Recorded because we spoke about the concepts or what I look to um, to qualify someone as ready to enter a diet. So I spoke about a lot of the the mental processes, but there's also physical processes. So you know sometimes a client will say, "Well, I want to look like this individual," and they'll send me someone from Instagram. And so I need to estimate. Not only is that realistic, but if it is realistic, how far? What is the estimated distance away from their physical? And then from a training level of advancement, this is really important for me as well because one of my major focuses is where a client is in terms of their advancement, because many have been in the gym for a long period of time where if we went strictly off of either their time in the gym or the years they've been training, they would be considered advanced, but they're not advanced in terms of their actual physique development. So it's, it's not enough to just look at, Hey, you know, how many years have you been training? How many years have you had a gym membership? You have to look deeper into the client because there's a lot of times that, We don't know what we don't know. And that's very um, common about clients in and of themselves. They may think they're advanced. They may think they're topped out, but they have so much more potential because they haven't nailed things. And this could be due to a lack of knowledge around nutrition and training. So they've been at this for a long period of time, but they've been doing a lot of the wrong things. And they just haven't found the right approach that'll work for them. It could also be due to a lack of consistency. So they've been on the wagon, off the wagon. They've tried programs, but they've only, they've never really consistently executed them, or not dialing in the details enough in terms of not only their nutrition and training programming, but also every other aspect of life. So I always say coaching is not just about the X's and O's of macros and calories and nutrition and sets and reps. In the gym. It's also about looking at fitness as a lifestyle. This is going to include their sleep and their sleep habits, their stress management and their total lifestyle, their schedule. So I, you know, right off the bat, I'm assessing the needs, wants, and goals of the client and then taking the information and data I collect through the console mm-hmm. to design a plan that meets, it meets in the middle between what's optimal for their goal, but also what's practical for their lifestyle and ability. So I'm always asking that on my intake. Like I want to know, you know, it, you know, it's always nice when someone tells you, you know, I would love to train six days a week, but is that realistic for you? And really take a critical think. Like if you know that your work schedule is hectic and you have multiple kids and you're, you know, driving Johnny to soccer and and Martha to, to ballet and all these things, like it might not be realistic to get in the gym six days a week. And you might be telling me that because you looked at it you look at my page and you see, I work with a lot of physique competitors, but realize guys, there is no necessities in fitness. There is, you know, there are very, there are principles And there are methods. However, there's not one set and forget uh, protocol that you need to follow to get results. So we need to do what you can consistently stick to. So if you're someone that you're able to put your all into four training sessions a week, I always ask my clients, you know, what is the optimal amount of, or what is the average amount of training sessions you could complete per week? This is, and I I specifically put this in, in quotations. This is not the amount of training that you would want to do it's the amount of training that you can commit to day in day out week in week out and give me an honest realistic answer because i'm always going to pick that you know i always ask people to give me a range of how many days they'd like to train but if they say four to six and then i ask them that secondary question about what can you really commit to on a week-to-week basis like if i program this i i can count on you to hit these and they say four 10 out of 10 times, I'm going to give them a four-day-a-week program because I can always add to it, but I would rather not give them so much that they feel overwhelmed and overly obligated to this set program and not only feel like they're, you know, disappointing me, but also they're having these psychological limitations because they feel like they only hit four out of six training days a week. So they're getting, you know, they should get less of a result where we could have easily just programmed something that fit better into their lifestyle.
0: Absolutely. Um Man, that question around training specifically, that's every call that I have. We have that same conversation where I ask, how many days per week can you hyper-realistically train? And it'll normally be like, oh, like I could probably do like five to six. And it's okay. So with 100% certainty for the next three months, if I program you six sessions a week, you can do that without missing. And it will normally be like, oh, realistically, maybe like three to four, right? It's like, okay, yeah, maybe, let's start at three. And we can all, as you said, we can always add more, but I've had that exact same conversation so many times. I think we go through a very similar process. Ours, we do via call. So to work with, to work together with myself or anyone on our team, that's, we'll hop on a call and everybody has different processes here. I will say too, like a lot of people I refer onward. And I think like, as a coach, there's like the last call, the last quote unquote sales call that I was on. I said, yo, I don't think I'm the I don't think myself or our team is the best person to help you. I think that this person could help you much better. Let me give you their contact info. And again, like I'm gonna refer you onwards. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that as well. But like first and foremost, I want to make sure that I truly feel like we are the best team to actually help the individual. And then from there, Again, it's like, you'll have a call with me. And then if it's like, hey, maybe we just start determine like, maybe you're going to be working with Andrea. Or again, like, if you're just working with me, we'll start with that initial call. But if you're going to work with Andrea, you're going to have a call with her as well. But really there, we're digging into things like, again, what does your schedule look like? What are kind of the biggest stumbling blocks for you? What restaurants do you typically go to? Like, tell us, talk through what your weekends look like and kind of getting an idea of what is actually what are the biggest things right now kind of like what's the low-hanging fruit so to speak that we need to address right at the start of the program because i think like right away we could look at like okay we need the client to have their macros we want to nail nutrient timing we want like all these aspects within training but we really have to look at like for this individual what are the biggest roadblocks relative to them so like i know your your intake process is different than ours but i've gone through your intake process and i know it's very very in depth as well right? Where we still work through all those things. And that's very similarly. I think that's like, I think it's easy to just get a client started and you're focusing on the wrong things where it's like, we very much try to look at what are like the three to four biggest things that we need to focus on right now to really get this client nailing it, right? Maybe we're not even starting them with macros yet. Maybe this person just needs to be consistently nailing their calories and their protein intake. Um, then we also get a movement screen so we can kind of get a good idea of. What the client's movement is like. Because as you said, I think that an interesting thing that I've noticed is people typically either dramatically underplay or dramatically overplay like their level of advancement on the call. So it's it's very rarely that like I will watch somebody's movement screen and it's like, wow, you move exactly like I expected. It looks like you're like the exact level of advancement that I expected. So that also gives us a good idea, like, and even looking deeper into like limb links and things of that nature when we're getting into programming like what we can kind of get a good idea of okay what does your squat look like so we know like if you've really struggled to grow your glutes and we know you've been doing i don't know if i would recommend this very often anyways but like you've really been just like struggling to build your glutes with your squats and lunges like right away it gives me some insight into what we might need to focus on in your programming but yeah i think i think like the delivery is different but i think we have pretty similar intake methods but i don't know if i have anything else to add there
1: No, absolutely. And honestly, I gotta be honest with you, Jeremiah, you went through a, what's called a truncated intake for me because I knew we were trying to get on that, that mini cut right away. So I actually, I, my process is a lot longer, but we knew each other. So it was, it was a little bit quicker off the bat, but you know, a lot of the feedback, and I'm sure you get this as well. I find that a lot of coaches, they only focus. And that's why I always say that statement about just focusing on macros and training. There's a lot of client, you know, I, I, you know, mentor a lot of other coaches, I get their intake forms. I see how they go through the process. And these are some well-experienced coaches, but then I also get a lot of clients from other coaches. And often one of the first pieces of feedback, and I'm sure you get this on your consoles as well, is, wow, I didn't expect this to be this in depth, or I didn't expect you to ask so many questions about my lifestyle or about my, my, my relationship with food or my previous, you know, dietary history, or, you know, what is my lifestyle like, or what does my schedule look like? I, you know, I'm always telling clients, listen, A lot of times people come to me because they look at me as someone that knows the research, has a lot of experience, and that I'll be able to help them chase optimal. But really, my goal is to find optimality within the constraints of their lifestyle. So if I don't get all those lifestyle details, I don't know about their daily schedule, their sleep and wake cycles. I don't know about their responsibilities outside of training and nutrition. Like, you know, how many kids do you have? Like, who do you take care of? You know, who do you look after? Who are you responsible for? What are the day-to-day responsibilities within the cons of your work? I work with a lot of other coaches and then fitness professionals, but a lot of them own gyms. They have many people under me. And just like with you, there were times that I pulled back on things and I said, listen, you are facing a ton of stress from a business perspective. And I know you're handling it perfectly, but you don't realize how this is adding to your total stress bucket. And we need to pull back because we have to realize that there are not all these separate buckets that stress goes into it It goes into one allostatic load. And so we have to take that into consideration. So I think that one of my greatest skills as a coach is really digging in off the bat and realizing, and that's a lot of times why I will actually tell a client right off the bat that I'm consulting with, listen, I understand that you have these goals, but maybe physically you're not in in the best place for it. Maybe uh, mentally you're not in the best place for it, or maybe your lifestyle is not in alignment. You know, right now, the responsibilities that you have, the schedule set up that you have, I work with people that travel all around the country that have numerous obligations. I I just got in a consult with um, a client yesterday who's going to be traveling for the next six weeks. Well, right now, dieting is, you you don't know where you're going to be. She's going to be internationally traveling. She has no, you know, idea of, she has no familiarity with the area she's going to be in if she's going to have gym access. So first thing I recommended was start researching stuff, start looking into things, but she doesn't know what the type of food are going to be like. What are accessibility is going to be like? So, dieting right now should be the least of your worries. It's only going to compound the stress. And really, your main responsibility is you're not making a living off of fitness. You're making a living off of this career. And the reason you're going to international travel for these next six weeks is because your goal right now. And I ask these personally, what are your personal goals? What are your professional goals? And then what are your fitness goals? And her professional goals that she filled out for me was to, by the end of 2022, get a promotion. And this was the trip that she needs to really impress her her higher ups to get this. So it's always about going past just the, the bare ba- bones basics of fitness, which includes the nutrition and training. We need to look at the lifestyle. We need to look at the abilities, the preferences and the capabilities of the person that's sitting in front of us. But, because we have to realize what might be optimal on paper will never be optimal if that person can't practically actually execute it.
0: Absolutely. I think one of the best things you can do as a coach is just ask your clients a lot of questions. Um, I've talked to this quite, we work with a decent amount of clients that are newer coaches. And I know I've talked about this quite a bit with them where, and I felt this myself in the past where there's, you put a lot on your pressure on yourself to like okay, this client, like they didn't respond how, exactly how I wanted this week. And I have to be able to like, my response to them has to be the solution to all of this. And then, hey, it's okay to like, hey, everything that we're not, we're seeing on paper here, for example, like isn't adding up. Let's dig a little bit deeper, like fill me in more. Like, can you, even if it's as simple as like, is there anything I'm missing here that you can give me insight on that might make this make more sense, right? Like it's, if you, uh, because I think a lot of times, like as a coach, if you're not asking questions, there will come up a scenario where it's like, this doesn't make sense. And yeah, it'll be like, this doesn't make sense. And now I don't know what to do. And I think the, I I don't want to put out blanket statements there, but a lot of times, one of the worst things you can do is just like, try to like, okay, I'm going to take my best guess, and just prescribe, just do this. When I think one of the best things you can do is just ask more questions around it. Right. And you'll normally gain a lot of insight that then will like you and your client together can kind of work towards a solution. Um, Anything else to add
1: there? You know, I agree completely with you. And I think also, And what I've, I've gotten feedback from my clients is there's a statement that I often say, and this actually comes from my buddy, Jeff Flack. No one, no client will care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. And one of the number one ways that I've been able to express how much I care about each and every person that I work with is my ability or is my willingness to ask more questions, to spend more time on them, to really dive in deep and really get to know their, them way beyond what most people would. I, I develop friendships. I'm very fortunate in that fact that I have you know deep connections with the people that I work with. But at the same time, I'm able to dive in and get... Sometimes they come to me about things that are far outside my scope of practice and re- require referrals out to a clinician or whatever it may be. However, it's just that openness and transparency in that relationship where they feel that I am someone that they can trust with this information. But had I not known like i've had you know multiple clients i spoke about this this month is is a men's mental health uh, health awareness month and like 84 percent of um uh, suicides are from men. So it's like really prevalent in today's society where males aren't speaking about the, their mental health. But I've had multiple clients over the last six months express to me that they're going through depression or they're going through a really hard time. And these are things that they normally would cover up. I have multiple people in the military that I work with that generally would not open up to me about their previous experiences overseas and in war. And they've opened up and they've expressed things that Honestly, they were horrible to hear, but it gave me so much more insight to them and and understanding their psychological and neurological profile. And so just understanding those things, that really does alter the way that I go about making adjustments, the way that I speak to them, the way that I communicate with them. Being a coach, it's not this – I always say there's no set and forget principle. I never make set and forget programs. But it's also about you're kind of a chameleon. You need to adjust your dictation, like how you uh, speak to different clients, how you communicate, how you put across concepts. I know certain clients; they work in in a certain area where they they need motivational interviewing. They need me to speak to them with motivational, you know, type of uh, pravada. And then there's other ones that they really need someone to be a little bit harder on them. They've always accomplished things, and they need someone to be critical and be that eye that is very objective and is always honest with them. And so, as a coach, the only way you know which direction or which approach is best for that specific client is digging deeper.
0: Absolutely. And I think like when it comes to building relationships with your clients with like most check-ins, what I found is there's typically one to two things where, and again, like it's a, I'm not saying like you have to be your client's therapist or anything of that nature, but typically what I found is when it comes to building relationships, um, there's like one to two things per check-in where you could skim over it client would notice it. The client would expect you to mention it. Or you could like dig a little bit deeper, right? Like there's something about their family that they mentioned. It's like you could just not mention anything about it. Or again, you could like tell me more, just dig a little bit deeper or whatever it may be. And I think that's really like your willingness to just go that extra mile there where it's like, I know this is going to open up a whole new can of worms, but it also does really further the relationship. And again, like in situations like that, like I have a lot of conversations around like, very hard things with my clients as well. And you don't, I will always like, yo, I don't have the answers here. I don't want to pretend like I do. But again, like, I'm happy to talk about whatever you're comfortable sharing. Just understand that. But again, like, I don't, I think it's also easy to like put pressure on yourself too, to like, as a coach. Okay. Because I fixed, I like quote unquote fix their training and nutrition. I have to fix this too. And like, that's, that's doesn't, that's not your role. And a lot of times then, if you're like trying to fix that, you are getting outside of your scope. But I think people just value so much, just like having someone that they can like bounce things like that off of as well absolutely my man cool all right next up we have what objective metrics do you use with clients during a diet to gauge progress all right so i'll kick us off here um man we are looking at quite a bit here so typically with clients we're going to be looking at body weight and really looking at your weekly averages not just like day-to-day fluctuations but again we also want to make sure we are looking at your weekly average how that's shifting we're looking at progress pictures on a weekly basis we look at body measurements with most clients as well i do think the usefulness of body measurements can sometimes vary depending on where the client is at um we're looking at a good amount of biofeedback so we're always going to be looking at sleep energy levels hunger and then depending on where the client is we'll dig a little bit deeper into things like digestion stress and then we're also looking at motivation mood cravings and things of that nature um so we're digging quite a bit into biofeedback looking at clients training logbooks. so basically what are progressions looking like and then we're also typically looking at a decent amount of form videos from client it's week to week as well so as far as objective data goes um I think those are the, the primary things that we're looking at. Do you have anything additional that we would add there?
1: Yes, you you included some subjective so stuff like hunger ratings, like perceived hunger, and things of that sort. That's, that's definitely That's fall. a good point.
0: I added quite a bit um, of subjective. Yeah, yeah.
1: You definitely, you definitely added. I will say that um, I like using you know, and you know this very well. I like using uh, a good lists of both objective and subjective metrics, especially during a dieting phase, like we are aiming for fat loss. I'm going to have a, I'm going to use a large tool uh, set, but the exact metrics I use are really going to depend on the client, where they're starting at, where they're trying to get to um, their psychological profile. And then also like what they have access to. So really when it comes down to just when we're looking at objective metrics, that's really a numerical values. And so these are things that are going to be quantitative rather than qualitative. So Jeremiah did hit on some subjective metrics. I am looking at hunger. I'm looking at energy levels. I'm looking at all these... perceived feelings, essentially. like How is a person responding? What's your mood state? What's your motivation? Like, What's your motivation to train? All these other metrics. But really, when it comes down to objectivity, the two ones that I'm always going to use with clients because I do have a wide variety that I utilize with clients. However, the two that I really will say that the vast majority or every client that I work with, I utilize these with because I, I do have to put on the caveat that I work with such a wide variety and array of clients that I actually have like five different uh, check-in forms that will go towards, you know, every client, essentially their client, the client type will get a different check-in form with different objective and and subjective metrics that I'm tracking. But on, you know, on the general scale, I'm going to use... A body weight scale is going to be the first thing. And one of the main reasons I'm going to use this with the majority of my clients is because they're cheap, they're convenient to get, they're easy to access for all clients, regardless of where they're located. And it's also one of the easiest metrics for a client to use and one that can be easily standardized, meaning I can get a client to take this measurement in a similar fashion consistently across the course of the entire phase. So it's not something that's going to really be... um, You know, really going to have them going out of the way. Almost every person that I've ever worked with or ever met has a body weight scale. So, you know, I I like to utilize that, but I also really want to get across the fact that despite the fact that I utilize this, it's important to realize that the scale is only only directly measures our body mass, and it doesn't differentiate how much of our weight is from muscle mass, fat tissue, water, glycogen, or even from gut content from previous day's food intake. And what I really like to do is use a uh, scale weight average across time. So as a way to like determine a state of energy balance. So where's that client? Because if we see that their average weekly scale weight is going down, you know, over time, it's clear that they're in a calorie deficit. Whereas if their scale weight is, you know, consistently increasing week to week, it's obvious that they're in a calorie surplus, but it's really important for what I really utilize this as is a tool to just see their state of energy balance. But I also want them to realize, and I make this very clear with all my clientele, that Scale weight is not the be-all, end-all metric of tracking progress because there are so many reasons as to why a client will see uh, fluctuations day-to-day or why we do see fluctuations day-to-day. And so I actually utilize this as a way for clients to realize this is completely normal because... You know, your scale weight can depend on what you ate the day before. It could change, you know, it could, uh, you know, see fluctuations due to changes in food intake, uh, energy intake, uh, the weather and temperature. Like how much did you sweat or did you not dissipate fluid, your sodium and fluid intake, their body's response to training. So if they had a really hard training session, they could have some, you know, post-training edema or essentially, you know, swelling from that. Um, you know, different phases of the menstrual cycle, their stress levels, the sleep, their, you know, their sleep quality the night before, and then also changes in carbon intake, which are obviously going to result in changes in glycogen content. And so really what I want to do is just get them, you know, used to taking these and becoming more comfortable with them and less attached to this metric over time. And then the next objective metric I use with all my clients, and this is every single person, is is progress photos. Uh, Honestly, I believe progress photos are the most useful tool that I have my clients use and send me during any phase, especially at that loss phase. Um, And I'll have them take multiple photos from a variety angles in a standardized manner so that I can assess their visuals. And their visual progress throughout the phase and i think this is the most useful and practical tool and metric to track from both a coach and client perspective because as a coach i want to have clients take photos in the same lighting and location on a weekly basis so that over the course of both weeks and months i can see how their physique is changing and progressing and then i also find this to be extremely practical for the client As they're usually coming to us with a physical goal. So really what most people come to us, it's not, you know, yes, some, some clients will say, I want to be, you know, this amount of body weight, or I want to get to this body fat percentage. But at the end of the day, we're chasing a goal physique. We're looking for an improvement in body composition. So how they look and the improvements they make over a phase in terms of, you know, dropping body fat or getting tighter and leaner, seeing certain body parts come down and get, you know, tighter and more muscular we're gaining more vascularity are the best ways to see that we're headed in the right direction and how are we going to see that best it's going to be through visuals and so what i really like to get people to do is i'll have clients you know they'll send me weekly photos regardless of the phase but then i look at them that's the first thing i look at within my check-ins so i don't look at any of their really what i've i've noticed over the years is that when i first started coaching i would read over their client intake form and sometimes their disposition or their attitude or their own subjectivity influence how I perceive their photos because they told me it was a really bad week or whatever it may be. And then it almost made me look at it in a a bad, not a bad light, but it made me think, all right, well, these photos aren't going to look great. But then when I really started going to a more objective format of looking at check-ins, what I would do is, and this is what I do just, you know, um, to be honest, is the first thing I do whenever a client sends me a check-in is I pull up their last week's check-in photos on one, you know, one part of my screen. And then Their weeks check in photos this week. And then I go four weeks back and I compare them all three. So I look at last week compared to this week, and then I look at a month scale of progress. And really, that's what I'm trying to look at. And then often when it's a longer phase, Sam, they're in a building phase. I'm looking at month one of the building phase to say we're at month three. I'm looking at longer time scales and I'm really trying to gauge the progression. I'm making sure that it's done in a standardized lighting and location, usually same time of day, same day of the week. So it's really objective. They are fasted. No, not fed. You know, they're in the same conditions day to day, week to week, month to month. I'm really able to get an objective measure. And then I take notes and I say, all right, I'm noticing water retention this week or, you know, and I'm thinking, and sometimes I'll make notes like this must've been a stressful week. This morning I had a client, Meg, I've been working with her for 21 months. And at this point, I know her body like this, and so I knew it was a stressful week just based off both her facial disposition, but then also she was retaining water, was you know holding a little bit more fluid. So I said, you know, I put a couple of notes on you know on my pad that I, I use next to my desk, and I said, stressful week, most likely either that time of the month or she had a high amount of life stress and it turned out unfortunately she had a passing of a family member uh, in a pretty tragic way and so but i i didn't read that first and i didn't let that influence me i took an objective viewpoint of those photos and i assessed her progress based off that and then i didn't read into it until after i had already made notes from an objective perspective where i didn't let any of you know her qualitative feedback influence what i was seeing <laughs>
0: Very interesting, man. That is that is one thing I've noticed about the way you coach is I know progress pictures are a huge part of that. And I, I personally always feel like when we're looking at the week-to-week changes, progress pictures are the one for me that has been the hardest when we're trying to dictate whether or not we're making adjustments as I feel like From my perspective, it's always been, well, there is a lot more room for like, maybe this person's in a slightly different pose. Maybe they're flexing just a bit more than they were the previous week. So I've always been much more hesitant to make adjustments based off. Now I do have some, I've definitely had clients where it's like, Hey, this does seem to be the primary metric that we're kind of adjusting around, but I would say much less so than like looking at weight and body measurements. So that's, that's interesting. Um, I've always found it to be a little bit harder to be, especially in the week to week, right? Where if we're comparing like month one to month two, but like in the week to week. And
1: honestly, that's why I do it in that fashion. So I do want to see week to week because that will show me acute changes. It doesn't mean direct progress, but it will show me, is this person more stressed? Are they retaining more water? What is their, what is their, their body? Um, you know, their body language indicating to me, because even like when you get to know a client, like, you know, when they're happy, like I get facial expressions within my clients, like sometimes they're smiling, sometimes it's with their daughter next to them. Like I have really good relationship with clients. And I also have to say that I also ask for photos much more than any other coach I know. And you know this very well. I'm asking for post-training photos on that. So I'm, I think that I've developed an eye and I also come from a bodybuilding background where photos were very prominent. And so I think that this is a component of coaching that cannot be taught. This is through analyzing Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of photos and really being analytical and also having an artistic side having been that I've done over 100 photo shoots myself and then also one of my roles within the supplement industry was I did a lot of marketing within supplements and I would arrange photo shoots and be behind the scenes of the camera. So often when I go to photo shoots for my own self, I'm telling photographer exactly how i want the shots how i want the lighting so i have a very good eye for that and that just comes from a creative perspective so i'm really able to analyze things and it's just like a skill and it's the same thing that when i go to shows like i'm able to pick apart things like if you ever look me up on youtube and you look up like anthony scalza we have some of his prep files uh, on youtube recorded and you'll see me like picking at his skin like pulling apart like his his abs skin and stuff because there are certain things I can't teach you and I can't depict on a, on a podcast, unfortunately, but I've just learned things over time. Like these are indices. Hey, this person's dehydrated. Hey, their you know, their uh, skin is pushing against, you know, the muscles are pushing against their skin. They have no subcutaneous water. You know, these are just things that you develop over time. So it really has been a skill that has helped me greatly because if I only relied, you have to think about it. We are both our own worst critics. So looking at our own photos, it's extremely hard to tell the differences And even day to day, Mm -hmm. and I tell you this all the time, like we are our harshest critics. And this is why I have a group of mentors that I send my photos to, because it's hard in and of itself. I've been doing this 17 years at this point. And it's so hard for me to look at, you know, photos and really see differences because I see myself day to day in the mirror. So it doesn't seem as much of a drastic difference. But then when you have an objective, you know, second set of eyes as such as a coach that has a lot of experience looking at people, looking at you, you know, I've I've looked at hundreds of sets of your photos at this point. And so I'm able to see, especially if you notice how I peak. You know, for a photo shoot, I was looking at your photos multiple times a day. And so I was getting these different, you know, facets. What did you look like after a pre workout meal, which was a bolus of carbohydrates, intra workout? So once you had, you know, intramuscular glycogen storage starting to pump up, you were more vasodilated, you had better blood flow and nutrient delivery. Post workout, when you had your largest bolus of carbs in the day, I'm looking at all these things. And then I'm looking at the trajectory of how the physique is improving, especially from a cosmetic perspective. But then I also look at larger time scales. So, you know, when we finish your photo shoot, Right prior to, I looked at your first check in photos and then I pulled them up against your most recent check in photos, which were on that Tuesday morning to see all that progress. And so, yes, it's much easier to see that. And the average person, like if I throw up like a transformation photo, they'll see like week one and then week 12 and the difference between the two. But I really do find utility in looking at week one, week four, week eight, week 12. And that just comes with experience.
0: Okay, absolutely. I think honestly, some of it is also doubting myself where. I don't want to bullshit the client. if So I think it's probably more like trusting my eyes as far as mm-hmm. what I'm seeing. Because also I'm like, I don't want to like bullshit you and like try to like, oh, you look a lot leaner if like clients, like I think I was actually dyslexic a bit more. And so I always want to make sure I have that other objective data to back that up. But honestly, I think oh, that's absolutely. more a me thing. I think that's more a me thing than like, anything else
1: yeah no i I think i think this is a little bit of uh, of something that you'll work through however i do want to say that the reason i do it on a pad i don't do it on my computer because i don't want any of the stuff that i wrote down to go into the check-in because i need to validate what Mm. i've seen with their their both objective and subjective data because for instance there are weeks that I, I've been wrong you know I'll tell you a client that i've had for a long period of time like so there have been times that I've written down for Anthony Scalza like certain feedback I did, one week in particular I was completely off the mark I thought he had a phenomenal week based off his photos I thought everything looked great and then I looked at his check-in and I looked at his sleep log and I was like wow this kid has had a terrible week of sleep that doesn't mean it negatively impacted the physique off the bat but I really predicted that this was going to be an extremely consistent week and it just wasn't and we' as coaches I always say this, and this is why I have a very auto-regulated and reactive approach to coaching. I am not a mind reader. However, I have good um, internal cues based on working with someone, getting to know a client, looking at their feedback, both subjectively, objectively, looking at their photos, then looking at the way that they type out their, their um, check-ins and how they, they respond to different emails. And so all of that needs to be, it's a compilation. It's really taking an all-encompassing, well-rounded approach. It's never relying on one thing. And really that, that's super unnecessary because I know that when I first got into coaching, this is something that used to shock me. There's a lot of coaches that would only ask for scale weight, that day scale weight and photos. And I was like, well, what, like, how are you getting any, like, how are you making any yeah. decisions? Like the scale is only telling you, you know, one metric. It's telling you your gravitational pull on this earth. Like, that's it. Like, you really can't judge. Yes. If someone dropped and you're in a fat loss phase, yes, they're in a deficit, but you don't know if they, they didn't, they underslept and they're just. You know, essentially purging muscle at this point. Like, really, you have to have more indices, and that's why I really do have a, a pretty comprehensive check-in form. However, you know, over time, I think the longer that we do this, the more that we get to trust in ourselves. And often, I'm not saying that I'm always right or that I'm always, you know, spot on ten times out of ten. But I will say that I do trust in my my intuition, uh, and then I also know that I'm taking enough objective, subjective data and analyzing things well enough. And it takes me really long to go through check-ins, and so I take my time. I really put a lot of intention into my, my responses, into my adjustments. And I know that often more times than not, I'm going to be pretty spot on. And here's the thing. This is the greatest thing about coaching we're not perfect, nor should we be expected to be. So the best thing about coaching is it's a responsive and reactive and adaptive process. This is not, I give you a 12 week program and you follow it. Here's your protocol, your gut protocol. Here's your fat loss protocol. None of this, all of this is constantly evolving. And so my approach changes each week, each month, whether it be with that client or as a coach as a whole. So the greatest thing about coaching is if we try something and it doesn't go exactly like, say that we wanted to net one pound of fat loss this week and we only net it 0.75. The greatest thing we can do is we can make adjustments and learn from there.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, dude. All right, man. I know we're already well over the time that you had available. Um, (laughs) Anything you want to throw out there before we let you go here?
1: Yeah, guys, just a heads up. We have officially started to um, open up um sales of the tickets for the pc which is the physique education collective which will be going down january 27th and 28th it is an all-star study pod uh lineup i was going to say podcast
0: All lineup we
1: have we have myself i will be presenting on optimizing insulin sensitivity and blood glucose management for um body composition and health outcomes. We also have one of my mentors, Alan Aragon is going to be on the the ticket. We have Dr. Scott uh, Stevenson. We have Lauren Conlin, Austin Stout, Vince Pitstick, um, Jason Theobald, Aaron Phillips, Jeffrey Sue, and Jeff Black. So we have a star studied lineup of coaches. We're all doing new presentations that we have yet to present on this seminar circuit. So we would love for you guys to come out. Um, feel free to reach out to me via Instagram, which is at Brandon DeCruise underscore. If you have any questions, this is a really great event. Jeremiah luckily has went out and met me out there last year when I was presenting and I've gotten the uh, privilege and the honor to join them yet again. And so I'm really looking forward to it. But other than that, guys, any questions, any interactions, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or on my email, which is betacruzfitness at gmail.com.
0: Perfect. Per usual, I'll link that up in the show notes. And as always, dude, thank you for being here.
1: Absolutely, my man.